All right, welcome back to another episode of uh, Ember Weekend. We are uh, back uh, as co-host and co-host. Uh, Chase is back, is what I mean. Uh, it was great having Charles uh, on last week, but uh, glad to have you back, Chase. Uh, how was your vacation? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I think I'm going to move out to Maine. You're going to move out to Maine? Yeah. Yeah, if I can get internet, which I don't think the state has internet yet, um, <laughs> but if I can get it there, um, I'll totally move out there. Yeah, yeah. you got to get that next level kind of the internet thing. I hear it's, it's going to really take off. Yeah, have you actually uh, experienced the winter there? Because I know it's summer now, and that's you know. Probably- I don't know. I've been there. I've been there twice, and it was fine. Um, both times in the summer. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. I, I don't think they have a winter. Yeah, I, winter, I haven't yeah. seen it. No internet. No winter. Yeah. Yeah. So we are Ember Weekend, uh, and we like to talk about uh, newsy things, and sometimes things we learn, and you know, do do a, a podcast where we kind of just go through some some cool stuff in the Ember community. We are broadcasting from the beach. Yeah, so anyways, uh, I think that's it's time to get started. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the uh, Asset Loader Service RFC that Trent Willis um, put out. Uh, Trent Willis uh, works at LinkedIn. Um, we have uh, featured a few of the things, I think Ember Exam, we talked about uh, that he wrote very recently, which is awesome, by the way. You should totally check that out. Uh, and the idea here is uh, the the... Uh, you know, the, the asset loading stuff is really, really uh, confusing to me right now. And I think reading through these RFCs has kind of helped uh, illuminate some of the some of the things that are necessary to help with lazy loading of engines. But uh, last week, uh, Charles and I talked about uh, the RFC, like the attack plan for lazy loading of engines. And I think this is the first step towards that um, with the asset loader service. And uh, I believe the, the my understanding is that there's going to be a way for you to give it an asset manifest, and it will be a promisified API where you say here's a here's a manifest, uh, give me a promise that you know will resolve with all of these you know once all of these things are are available. Uh, is that is that about right, Chase? Yeah, I mean it seems like it. Uh, I'm I didn't see the actual. API that a user would use. I mean, obviously, this is an advanced thing. This isn't something that. Yeah, they even mentioned that in the in the RFC a couple of places where it's like this is this is definitely an advanced uh, advanced area, but it, it it looks it looks cool. And this is definitely one of those places uh, w- with regard to the uh, the attack plan from last week. It's another place where uh, I believe this is a, a good place for commentary and for uh, helping out. Uh, the attack plan outlines a lot of the high level stuff. So a 10,000 foot overview, which is really, really useful. Uh, if you want to get started in contributing, uh, this is an advanced thing, but I think, uh, I think that's that the actual code to get it to work is, uh, is something that is attainable and, and like you could help, uh, with if you, if you want to. Um, so I was just excited to see this RFC so forthcoming right after the attack plan, um, that we mentioned just last week. I think that was maybe two weeks ago that it was released. Um, so already seeing movement on the lazy loading engines, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, this is definitely, um, there's a lot of work that goes into this. We, we talked about it when we first mentioned uh, Ember engines and, you know, the lazy loading kind of aspects coming to it. And you can kind of see in part of this that the, the issue outlines like, a bunch of things that have to happen. And when you see that like each one of those line items has like, like in this case has two other really complicated things that has to happen before that can, you know, happen. And that there's, you know, a lot of like hours being put into making this work and in a way that's, you know, obviously like thoughtful. And, you know, when you go look at this, the, it's not just like kind of like cobbled together, you know, hastily to try and get the feature out the door. It's like, there's ways to like register types of lookup things and, um, you know, it's, there's a lot more to it. They're definitely thinking about the future and, you know, how not to like, you know, hamstring ourselves later 
Yeah. And I, you know, and just, I feel like this is like the Ember community again, doing something really cool where, uh, you know, this is all out in the open. There are RFCs, uh, asking for people's feedback. And, uh, I, I don't know. I really, I, I'm very excited just to see, you're right. Like people are like thought, like a lot of thought is going into this, but it's not like thought in an ivory tower. It's thought in an ivory, it's thought, it's thought by, by, uh, you know, people. And then, you know, there's a community effort to try to reach the best solution. So I, I'm really excited about that. I think that's one of the things that Ember does really well. And, uh, you know, we're going to probably keep pointing you to these RFCs because, uh, it's really important to have, uh, as many eyes as possible on it. Uh, because I think we end up with a better product project project framework framework thing javascript where am i you know you know what i'm saying you just can where to fix that later post so yeah i was i was actually just uh kind of perusing this uh the api and i think i found the thing i was looking for where you you actually look up the same way i think i said resolve before you look up the same way as anything else and you and they say like service colon asset loader they give back a loader and now that loader has a pro, you know a promise aware kind of load asset hook that you call very so, cool yeah it looks uh it's a it's a pretty simple api it looks like yeah yeah the 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 uh, attack plan uh, rfc mentions that this is like a really simple api like the whole idea behind the asset loader service is that we're going to try to keep the api surface really really small so that it so that it's easy to understand and and understandability for because this is so advanced uh and it enter in, in the the cons of the rfc are like this introduces a new layer that advanced users will have to understand. Uh, I think I think there's a there's a push here to try to make this as simple as possible. So it definitely seems like uh, like a good good idea. So uh, check out this RFC and uh, be sure to leave comments if you can. There's actually the new reaction stuff. So if uh, if it's just a thumbs up, you can do the reaction thing, which I think is rad. Um, and uh, yeah, check it out. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, reach out to uh, to us or or uh, to Trent and the Slack people or or comment on this issue. And if you thought that was really complicated, uh, this next thing we're going to talk about is much more complicated. Uh, Nathan Hammond has a post out. I think, he, what do you call it? The, the treatise? How do you say that? A treatise. Uh, treatise? I don't know if he actually called it that, but that's what I'm calling it because it's like 5,000 words. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's the, it's this huge encyclopedia of how route recognizer was, I guess, rewritten because he's talking about all these optimizations being made. Um, and you know, I've, I've looked at the code for route recognizer before when I was, I think I can't remember, like looking at some Mirage pretender or something like drilling down in and I got all the way down to that level and it was, it's pretty simple code kind of like when you look on, on the surface, it looks really simple. But then when he explains it, you realize there was like a ton of computer science-y concepts built into it that make it work and not be like, you know, so you don't have to have a million tests that, that test every variation of things because they just know kind of the overall, you know, how glob works and how all these other types of dynamic segments work. And they can be real, you know, reliably sure that it's like, it's going to work for everyone the same. Um, because if you're, if this is like based off of regular expressions, you know, it might work for 99% of the people. And then you have some one weird bug that creeps in. Um, but, uh, so the way he was talking about it was they, uh, th I don't know what the structure used to be, but this goes into basically how they kind of reevaluated how it was working and, um, used a couple different tricks, like hybrid types of things, hybrid data structures to, um, I guess, get, get some performance benefit, uh, and also some like pre-optimization that happens on the server so that it runs faster on the client. 
Yeah. So, so I think in my understanding, like the overview here is that the, the, the way that it's working now is that the grammar file and the thing that parses it is both, both of those things are being sent to the client and then it's parsing the grammar and then it, and then it works and then it does the thing that it's supposed to do. And the idea here is that you're going to basically offload that and do it and ship kind of this like file that is pre-done, pre-ready, you know, ready to go. And it actually increased, I think, you know, like TLDR kind of thing is that it ends up being a little bit larger payload size. I think he said uh, 15 kilobytes, right? G-zipped? Yeah, right? it was like 15, 15K. Yeah, and then and then the parse time can go down on a on a admittedly rather large app with 500 routes. The parse time on that goes from like one second to like 500 milliseconds, I think was what it was. I'm not, I'm, those numbers may be fuzzy, uh, but it's, it's faster. It's considerably faster. So there's like this sweet spot where you know, if your routes end up parsing longer than it takes to download the file and the route recognizer, so the 15 kilobytes or whatever of extra um, stuff you're sending, this is going to be a much better approach. And I think that most of the time, this is going to be a better approach. Uh, right. He he also mentioned that there were some kind of uh, internal structure um, thing, like optimizations to that that data structure that's representing your routes that were made, which will make uh, garbage collection, uh, you know, happen less frequent. Oh, yeah. The memory pressure, right? Fun. That's right. Yeah. So you'll have like a continuous payoff throughout the lifetime of the app every time you're like moving around, not just the initial load, which I thought was cool. Yeah, definitely. And and there there's a there's a bunch of really cool things in this blog post that really outline kind of the the problems that arise from trying to parse a URL into something that will know how to do the right thing. Uh, and it's done in a way that you're he's I think he starts with like serialize an object directly to the URL and then read it back out. And that's pretty cool. And then you know, you're like, oh, well, now you have this nasty URL. So it's it's a very good blog post kind of like going th going through the process of, of how, how this might uh, show up. I, there's one thing that I thought was really, really interesting is that in all of the routing stuff that I've done, I've always just assumed that, yeah, order matters, you know, like you want to order these things very specifically. Uh, so, you know, like whatever gets caught first, um, top down, just like a Rails router or you know, the Ember router currently, um, that wins basically. So you can do some clever things with that, but it does introduce an order dependency that's kind of implicit. And now the idea is there's going to be rules around like uh, basically kind of like CSS. So there's going to be like kind of like a cascade. So certain things like dynamic segments are going to be prioritized, you know, greater or lesser than this other type of URL. Uh, and uh, I think it, I think it goes from like most specific. So an absolute route, then dynamic segments. I, I read this like a few days ago, so I'm a little fuzzy, but um, there's an actual cascade. So order is not going to be, and it's not going to matter, uh, which I thought was really interesting. So yeah, if you, um, you know, have like a ton of time to reread this like three or four times, you should <laughs> check, definitely check it out. It, uh, it, I've, I've read it, I think twice now um, with a few cups of coffee and I think it's starting to stick. So yeah, I really like the blog post too. Like it's not, it's not just that it's long, it's that it's long and then it's really interesting and good. And I think there's some really cool, uh, some cool uh, compromises that are being made that are going to end up with some pretty big wins, which I think is yeah. uh, really, really neat. Yeah, and along the way, uh, he starts with like a very basic kind of parser and like how the generating right. generating the structure, um, and then he keeps adding a little bit to adding a little. He doesn't basically he doesn't get all the way to what route recognizer does, but he gets kind of down to a point where he's like, well, this is handling like some of the cases. These are the other cases, and here's kind of a high level of how they're implemented and how they're kind of fixed. But basically, it's kind of like a divide and conquer um, kind of approach where it's like, well, most of the cases are handled this way, except for glob that's handled kind of special. And the dynamic segments are kind of done in another little different way. But once they're 
you know, once we handle every little thing, we can then, you know, put them in this one data structure. So I thought it was pretty cool. It's like use the the, the data structure that's good for that one part to right. do that. And then, you know, the other things you might have to use a regular expression or something. Yeah. And the very confusing tree, which is spelled T-R-I-E. Yeah. There's in, in NFA. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of really cool stuff, uh, computer science-y stuff. That's really fun. Like I said, or like, like Chase said, um, this is going to be something that you can kind of reread and I think it's going to continually give you a little bit more value. Uh, each time. So, uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's freaking sweet. Sweet. Please cut that out. Please cut that out. All right. I'll, I'll end it then. Um, yeah, definitely uh, check that out. It's uh, freaking sweet. <laughs> You're the worst. All right. And the last thing we're going to talk about is, uh, is a thing of my own creation. Uh, Charles and I, uh, talked last week about, uh, using a register, uh, in a register function inside of module four, uh, um, module for acceptance, the module, uh, that allows you to override, uh, services or any registration actually. And, uh, it was a, it was a real pain for me to, to struggle through it. And I actually found out a, there was a bug in one thirteen thirteen that, uh, that basically made it not possible for you to override, uh, a, a given registration that was already registered. Uh, and, uh, we talked at the very end of that episode about, uh, possibly pulling it into an add-on, which I've done, and it's called uh, Ember Owner Test Utils. Uh, thanks Robert, uh, for the, uh, good <laughs> test name there. Uh, and it implements a register, uh, helper, uh, and it's, it does exactly what, uh, what was happening in the module for acceptance, but instead of putting it there where a user would have to like import it and do some other things it just accepts the test context and just calls register using the the test context so um in in and it works in acceptance uh, unit or an integration test so at any point in time you can say register this and then the registration which is like service colon you know my service uh, and then a, a service factory or you can use a component there's a really cool example in the readme that shows how uh, and this is from Ember Route Action Helpers, where you can create a component that never existed just to test out something. So in this case, you basically create the template and you create the component, and uh, and then you in in Ember Route Action Helpers, it actually has like the Route Action Helper being used on this fake component that never existed, uh, and it basically allows you in your dummy app for this add-on to not have to write a bunch of files. Instead, you can just put it all in your tests. So you kind of write more declarative tests by being able to do this. Uh, it's really, really interesting. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of implications. Uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's called test utils and not test register or something like that because eventually I'm going to add lookup as well, uh, which will allow you to look uh, up services uh, in your tests. So it's gonna, be, it's, it, it's gonna be a little bit more robust once I, uh, once I get some more uh, time to put into it. But uh, the things I wanted to mention were that the add-on development was uh, really, really pleasant. So I haven't written an add-on in several months, and it's been great. Uh, this particular thing, I only want it to be available in the test environment, and uh, and I don't want it to get shipped out with the main code because it's not used. So uh, there's something that was tricky, and I didn't realize until um, I was pointed to this, that uh, if you put something in your add-on into a directory called add-on-test-support, uh, that will automatically, whatever module you have in there or whatever files you have in there, will automatically be made available uh, in your tests. So uh, in your test output. So you're basically, it's, a, it's called test-support, which, <clears throat> which is ostensibly the vendor file for your test runner. And you're able to 
uh, just put a file in there. And then in the case of this, uh, once you download the add-on and install it, Ember install, Ember owner test utils, uh, in any tests, you can say, you know, import register from uh, Ember owner test utils slash test support slash register. So uh, it was actually super duper simple. And I thought I was going to have to write a custom build solution that basically said, okay, well, depending on what environment I'm on, uh, do this different thing. Uh, and it and it was super, super duper easy. Uh, but it's not documented. I think I'm going to try to write a little paragraph or something in the docs at some point. Uh, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, but uh, if you ever run into a situation where you want to add a test helper, uh, just know that you can do add-on-test-support in your add-on and those get made available. Um, so Ember, Ember CLI having your back once again uh, for add-on development. Wow, that was a... That was awesome. So I I missed all that because I was gone all last week and then, you know, didn't help you build this. So I felt like I really learned something just now. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, writing test helpers is super simple. Uh, and the register thing uh, is super cool. I, I So you and I, Chase, we had run into this issue where we registered something in uh, in an Ember Weekend project. I don't remember what it was, but we used uh, this dot application from within a test context. And... Uh, this application dot register, and I think that it worked because you were you you did this you were stubbing out a Tory provider, but that Tory provider was itself overriding or using the fallback registry. Um, so had it been a service or something that already exists, you couldn't have overridden it. So right. this yeah. register function allows you to do uh, to to override. Right. Yeah. Tory was uh, manually registering something called Tory dash providers. And then saying like uh, like OAuth or Google to OAuth or something like that. Google OAuth to Facebook something. And like they're registering all these things, but those weren't actually folders that existed in their add-on. And so I was like, well, wait, this works like this. Why didn't you just do it? And um, you know, you were you were showing me how uh, it wouldn't have worked if I would have had um, those folders that existed with a file called that in there. And that was interesting. Like I. I thought that the problem was fixed and I was just like, oh, well, I, I know how to, I know how to do it now. I know a way to do it. And I wouldn't, and I, later on I would have come back and had this really surprised moment where I was like, why isn't this working? It worked over here. Why doesn't it work here? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, it's actually a really interesting thing because the way that the overrides work, um, you run into the same problem. You would have run into the same problem I did where you're getting the original service and you never would have been able to override. Um, but in this particular case, because Tori was overriding it, you're basically overriding an override, which you can do, but you can't override something that actually exists. So if you had the files, it would have, it would have just continually used that. And it would have been the same bug that I got in one thirteen thirteen, um, which yeah. we talked about last week. So do you, is this going to be like fixed? Is this something that's going to like, um, just oh. change later? So that you well, can't? okay. So that's an interesting question. Um, so right now this just allows you the register function for member test utils, uh, Ember owner test utils allows you to use the register override uh, for everything going back to 113. Um, and it's actually run, we hooked it up to Ember try so that it's it's running against all of those things. So it, it'll work all the way back to 113. And uh, in the future, there's already work being done uh, in effort to push the test unification stuff. Uh, that will allow a unified registration, uh, a unified registration thing built onto the test context. But for now, you can just do this, and this will just work. And I think even with the test uh, unification, so that people don't have to rewrite it, I'll probably make it work even then. And basically, just if the registry is defined on the text context, then use that. And if it's not, then don't. Uh, which is what I'm doing now to get integration tests and unit tests to work. Anyways, 
because unit tests and uh, integration tests already have this dot register defined. Um, so yeah, so basically, you know, register registering and stubbing out services and uh, and faking out components and stuff like that is really easy with this. So, and, and in the future, it will be unnecessary. Yeah, and uh, the other the other good benefit about this add-on is I think the way you had to solve it was using a private API, right? Um, so it's kind of a private API. Uh, you have to use the application instance, which you get by calling this dot application dot uh, that skid skid deprecated instance, which I've been told by Robert is not actually deprecated, but, uh, yes, it is, it is actually reaching a private API. So, uh, one of the cool things about, uh, this add on abstracting that from you is that I'll be able to, um, in, if future versions, uh, if this private API breaks future versions, uh, one, uh, Travis will alert me to this because I have it running against, uh, canary branches and release and beta branches. If it, if it breaks, I'll be able to make adjustments uh, to the add-ons so that your code won't ever have to change. So um, this is kind of a, an abstraction that's going to allow you to, things underneath the surface can change and you guys will be free from those changes. Right. We, we always call that like uh, the poop in a box. Yeah, put the poop in a box. That's from uh, Eric Brin, I think, actually. Yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, and, that, and that's the idea. Um, so it's it's really cool. And like I said, lookup will be, uh, will be the same, will be handled the same way. Uh, so lookup uh, is another uh, owner API that, uh, could be useful inside of tests. So that's, uh, that's next on the docket for Ember test, uh, Ember owner test utils. Uh, and then one, one last thing about add-on development. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I, I can't believe how simple it was. Ember try integration for add-on support is so good and easy. Um, I was able to, with some inspiration from Ember route action helpers, uh, the add-on, I was able to, um, get it running against headless Chrome. Uh, it was really, really cool. Uh, and then I added a badge for Ember observer which um, the test score is an eight out of 10, which I think is the most you can get without uh, getting stars up to 10% of all add-ons or whatever. But the Ember Observer uh, review was really quick to get a rating. Uh, and I believe that's still manual. If I believe Katie actually reviews those uh, herself. So I don't know. I was just all in all, I was really excited about the add-on development process. It was super easy. And um, I didn't run into any situation where I was just completely out of you know, out of options, out of help, you know, places to look for, for help and documentation. So, uh, yeah, add-in development is just wonderful. All right. And that's all we have for this week. Uh, we'll see you next weekend. Uh, I'm Chase McCarthy. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm Jonathan Jackson. And, uh, I think, uh, we've, we've not done this in the past, but it's something that Charles brought up last time, uh, that we should mention, uh, our Twitter handles. Wait, what's Twitter? What's Twitter? What's a Twitter? I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, so anyways, uh, my Twitter handle is rondel-sc and yours is code 0100fun. Right. Yeah, it's code for fun. Code so for fun. In binary. Learn you some binary. Learn, learn some binary for great justice. Uh, anyways, uh, you know, uh, you can always reach out to us uh, at Ember Weekend, uh, all one word on Twitter. Uh, if uh, if you want to ask us any questions or anything like that, we're always more than willing to to respond and help out in any way we can. Uh, and if, uh, if you want to keep, uh, up to date with new, uh, Ember weekend episodes, uh, you should subscribe to our podcast, uh, via RSS, which you can do so at emberweekend.com slash feed.xml. And that'll get you, uh, get you all hooked up. So we'll see you next weekend. <laughs>